0: Hey hey hey. hey! 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 Everybody! Hey! 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 hey, hey, hey so we're back with Lane Kavoka, uh for his second appearance on the Financially Independent podcast. Good to see you, Lane.
1: Hey! Thanks for having me again. Still financially independent here.
0: Yes, I know. I know <laughs> that we we briefly caught up um, now before we start recording. But I just want to ask you how you've been during COVID and everything. Uh, all healthy? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, you
1: know, haven't gone back to the day job yet. Um, thank God. Yeah. This is
0: good news. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. But, um,
1: but yeah, I mean, people are paying rents. Um, so this is exactly why we invest in workforce housing, right? Not the rich people stuff, not the mm-hmm. super low end the stuff in the middle where most of the American population, you know, rents $700, the $1,400 a month for
0: apartments. Right. So, just to give a context for the people who are list- who have maybe listened to episode number one, I would say listen to episode seventeen, real estate with Lane Kavoka, if you want to get get some more context about Lane. Um, but Lane, maybe quickly, could you tell people what you do and, and maybe tell people about simple passive cash flow quickly, so just they uh, for the first time listeners.
1: Yeah. So currently own six thousand rental properties. Uh, we buy mostly in, in bunches of apartments, so two hundred to four hundred units at a time. But I started investing in 2009 as I was working my engineering job up to that point. I was all taught to go to school, study hard, get a 401k, buy a house to live in, which I don't, you know, here at com and my podcasts, we kind of teach people how the wealthy do things as opposed to what we're kind of brainwashed to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've, Bought rental properties to start and then eventually as it became over to credit investors, start investing in private placements and syndications. And you know, we today we we kind of take over big properties and bring folks along with us.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. And thank you for providing the context. And again, for anybody who wants to get more context, we discussed this in detail in episode number seventeen. Um, so I think today, I, th- I think since we spoke the last time in 2019, as we recapped, uh, many things happened, especially with COVID-19 and, and the real estate market has been, went down, but then became red hot and everything. So let's say, how was your experience during the beginning of COVID um, in terms of like the initial shock? You know, like how did you go through that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's I've never been through a pandemic before. I was a little worried, right? At the time we had maybe four or 5,000 units at that time. And. I mean, I don't think anybody knew what to expect. The country shut down for a while, um, but in March and April of last year, I was honestly a little scared, but people start, you know, needed to pay the rents. There was government assistance programs and, you know, what, basically, I mean, I would say in the worst of COVID in March and April, I mean, normally we collect, I mean, 97% of the rents, you're always going to have a few you had a hundred deadbeats, mm-hmm. maybe at worst, it dropped down to like 95%, 94% in some of the worst properties. Um, some outperform, right? Like, I mean, that's why you pick better than average areas, more in the red states, more economically focused as opposed to, you know, shutting down for every little thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. So continue to collect the rents and, um, you know, then then I think what you kind of want to talk about today was like residential prices, right? Like we're more in the commercial real estate mm-hmm. world. So residential prices are more residential, which um, I mean, I, I, try and stay away from, because it's based on more on emotion right? mm-hmm. it's based off comparable sales. So whatever the guy, you know, listed his price for and sort of where that's what the prices are dictated where commercial real estate is very different. It's based on how much profit you make or beta for those business owners out there. Mm-hmm. But residential prices, there was low supply. Um, you might want to think of it as people were too afraid of people coming through their house and with cooties and uh, they didn't want to list their houses in the market. So for whatever reason, supply was low. So prices dictated by supply and demand. And maybe the supply was higher, maybe it was lower. We don't know, but supply was low and that's what pretty much made the prices skyrocket um, that last year and even now. Um, but commercial properties prices did go up a little bit, but not as extreme as residential properties.
0: So, could you maybe just briefly say for people that don't know, like, what's the difference between the commercial and and and, and realist and uh, residential? So, residential is basically just normal people living in their houses, selling their houses, and then the commercial would that be like working space, uh, for example?
1: Um, well, commercial offices. assets are more like you know. I mean, residential, you can have apartments, but those are considered more in the commercial realm, Mm -hmm. commercial assets. Um, Normally, like anything bigger than four units and above is considered commercial properties. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas when you get below that threshold, it's not based off, you know, comparable sale, it's based off comparable sales, not the uh, ratio of the net operating income times the cap rate which is the market price or the price that it fetches.
0: Right. So you said that basically there's a difference between um, what the residential market was experiencing with low interest rates and tough supply because of maybe 2009 crisis and whatnot, and the, what was the commercial side, what the commercial side was experiencing. Um, so on, on the commercial side, do you, what kind of a state is the market now? Are you feeling confident? Uh, is is simple, simple passive cash flow still... Uh, way to move forward in the future? Would you still recommend it to uh, people looking to engage into real estate?
1: Heck yeah. I mean, we went through a pandemic, country shut down, people still pay their rents. And that's why we, I mean, we're not house flippers or wholesalers. Like we're not the people who got burned back in 2008. Those guys were gambling on appreciation. What we do is we buy stabilized apartments that are cash flowing day one. So if anything happens in the economy, we're okay. We just cash flow. We just sit tight, right? Um, we do value add strategies to increase the rents. We rehab units, put in you know the flooring, new appliances, new paint job to bump the rents. But if we don't, even if you don't do that, I mean, we cash flow, and that's the important thing. So it's kind of a to me. That's why I like the strategy. It's kind of a good risk adjusted return that just. You know doing more hairy deals or developments, right? Where you have no cash flow coming in to service the debt. Mm-hmm. So, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, heck yeah, this is exactly why. And, and now, I think, starting the beginning of this year, once the vaccine started to roll out, I mean, rents have been skyrocketing. I mean, some places four, five, six percent plus, um, which is very different. What's happening, you know, some people are landlords, you know, mom and pop landlords. You know they're still kind of behind on the times. They're not raising the rents because that's just the difference between professional property managers that we we have on staff versus your mom and pop investors just with little little rental properties here and there.
0: Right. So I, I have a couple of questions. I mean, um, one of the questions is: Do you think that that the the fact that uh, the 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 prices of of um, Properties went up significantly. That many people decided at some point, okay, this is maybe too expensive for me to buy a house. I might start renting instead, and that had an impact on the on the rent prices.
1: I I think maybe you could think in terms of adults here mm-hmm. there, but generally, I mean, I mean, like most people in this country can't afford to buy a house, and nor should they, in my opinion.
2: Right? Mm.
1: Um, they don't have the credit. They don't have the down payment saved up, they will likely be renters for the rest of their life. And whether that's right or wrong, from a standpoint of your, your where the where you want the nation to go, it is what it is. Um, and therefore, people in, that you're going to have a bigger demographic coming to the renter side. I mean, that's how we got into this, this predicament in the first place in 2018. George Bush thought everybody should own a house. Right? right, so they just decided to give like loans out to everybody if you had a pulse, and you could you could fog a mirror, um, which is obviously not the way to be doing things. And now we're kind of having you know we're going to more where it should be maybe a third of the people in this country being able to buy houses, the rest are just land uh, renters.
0: Interesting, and then you mentioned another thing where basically you you have cash flows, and then I assume that probably most of the deals are financed by by credit and some kind of debt. Did you on your side experience what, this kind of environment with low interest rates? Did it benefit you and your business in terms of lower debt service costs and and just being able to finance that easier?
1: Well, the banks kind of froze up a little bit. So prior to COVID, they were pretty you know they're pretty easy to work with, but. The banks, you know, they get when uncertainty comes, the typical movement is to freeze. So things kind of froze up a little bit. It got a little bit more expensive to do loans during the time. But as of maybe a few months ago, things have kind of really opened up again to what it normally was prior to that. Um, but the banks lending on apartments are government subsidized debt because the government knows that the country needs more of this low income lower middle-class types of housing, but they can And this isn't China, right? I mean, I guess we do have housing authorities here, there for the projects, but nothing mm-hmm. for this, like, you know, not the super lower end, right? So therefore the way they stimulate the economy is they get people like us to get these really sweet loans at our advantage that the government sort of subsidizes for us. So it's kind of free money in a way.
0: Interesting. Um- yeah, I completely agree. And then one one other question I had for you as well. You mentioned is that you, you operate both in red and blue states, let's say like that. Um and on your side, you actually experienced different outcomes in terms of rent, rent payments, depending if the state was predominantly, I don't know, liberal in terms of not shutting not shutting down or kind of um looking to shut down for every um every COVID case or whatnot. Um so could you speak a little bit more about that? Because that's very interesting. I, I haven't uh, get any data on yeah, that. Yeah, I mean,
1: pr- even prior to COVID, we typically invest in red states because they're typically a little bit more economically focused, mm-hmm. economically driven. And more importantly, there's more landlord friendly laws in those types of states. And what We like places like Arizona, Alabama, Texas, places like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I live in Hawaii. I mean, California's a cool place to live, but when you're the landlord, you don't want to be there. <laughs> Plus the numbers right. don't make don't work in those areas anyway, right? You don't have that one percent rent to value ratio <laughs> to be able to cash flow on a month-to-month basis. So, you know, and and this became even more apparent during the pandemic, right? The states that were quicker to open up, whether, you know, whether it was good for national security or national health, it's another thing, right? But keeping the economy open and your tenants being able to pay rent better in these other States. And the other thing that became very apparent, I mean, there was a little buzz in the beginning of the pandemic of the hashtag free rent, Tweets right. on, you know, corn, like, you know, the, the social forbearances Republic, and all that stuff. Right. The socialist Republic of California, right. This is a, kind of the big thing. And not to get political. Right. But like, <laughs> heck when I'm the landlord, I want those flaws on my side. And maybe it's just the way I, I grew up, my values, if you can't pay, you can't stay. Um, right. But we'll leave it at that.
0: Yeah. That's, that's interesting because like most of the people are either on the one side of the aisle or on the other side of the aisle. It's a pretty complex issue because of course you don't want people to be on the streets, but then at the same time, there has to be some kind of a deal that helps the landlords because they're also people who have their income and they're going to get on the street. So, right. It's, it's a complex I, I issue.
1: Mean, to me, politics is kind of a waste of time. In my opinion, you can be left, you can be right. -hmm. I just go. I just look what's happening, and as an investor, an operator, I go where the puck is going. Right. I put my 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 beliefs, my prejudices aside, and it's just me and my my clients and my investors. That's what's really is important, right? Where is it? Where is the puck going? Where is Congress or the states going with their laws? And I'm gonna go what's best for me and my constituents.
0: Right. Because you represent your investor and there are certain risks and it's the most professional way to look at it. Um, yeah. And, and so you would say basically that the, the, the trend in the industry is that to moving towards the, uh, the states that are not only have the laws that are good for landlords, but at the same time are looking to open the kind of be flexible with that stuff. Um,
1: right. And it's just, I mean, the stuff that we do is very basic. I mean, that's why people invest in real estate its Mm -hmm. it's not like super technical, it's not rocket science. It's like, where's the population increasing? I mean, especially like this 2020 census information just got released a couple of months ago. It's probably the the freshest data you're going to get the easiest way you're going to be able to see these population trends and the general movement is away from, you know, from the Northern side of the country down to the Southern Sunbelt States.
0: Right. We spoke to another uh, real estate investor, I think, uh, a couple of months ago. And one one useful thing that they were using to evaluate to which state, uh, which states will uh, get more residents to come in. I think they're more interested in residential. But anyways, I think they're looking at USPS um, prices and the prices of vans, uh, uh, van rentals for the people who are moving in one direction. So uh, I think they they had states like Texas. The price to move, the price for a van or a truck from Texas um, or into Texas was much much yeah, higher exactly, than outside. Exactly the,
1: the U-Haul report, right? right so the u report, report is what like you know blue collar folks used to move or What mm-hmm. I used to move when I was a cheap old college student or out of college, I still did that. Right. But whereas the van lines are the ones where your white-collar employees are kind of, you know, moved at the expense of the company, those are more your white-collar workers. So two mm-hmm. different, you know, mm-hmm. we most of our tenants are more the blue-collar type of folks. So we'll follow the, the U-Haul, but we'll also keep an eye on, you know, what's happening with the, the van line report, and stuff like that. But no, those are just two anecdotes, right, out mm-hmm. there. The, the, the biggest thing is just population.
2: Mm-hmm
1: right? It, and it's, it's not rocket science, right? Where are the areas that are growing more than others with emerging markets?
0: Right. Makes all sense. Yeah. That's one thing I found very interesting that I didn't know. Uh, I come from finance, but I never really invested or worked in, in real estate. But I found very interesting those metrics that you can, you can track u holes and actually see the u hole price where people are moving to. Um, uh, so I guess one thing... I, to ask, maybe to kind of finalize the last chapter of the podcast is for people who are looking to go into the real estate market, or maybe they're looking to either buy or rent, what are certain recommendations that you would give them at this point of time uh, that will live in uh, post mid COVID? I don't know how to classify this era. COVID is still out there, but it's not the, the worst of March and April of 2020.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, well, there's, Pandemic beginning and doesn't really matter. I mean, you want to buy assets that produce cash flow, such as real estate. I mean, crypto, all this other investments out there—they don't give you the tax advantages that real estate does. I mean, I don't pay too much taxes. I mean, go look at my taxes. Simple Passive slash tax. I mean, that's why I do real estate. I don't particularly like it, but it gives me cash flow. I get good debt on it. The government subsidized, and I don't pay. I get all these passive losses from. The investment—it's—it nothing gives you that trifecta out there. Um, so if you're gonna if you're starting out, your net worth is under a quarter million dollars, go out and buy a single family home rental property. Don't go buy a house to live in. Um, if your net worth is a little higher, you know, consider it syndications and private placements. But um, you know, I think that's why you know we educate people at simple passive cash flow and on the podcast because. I just get frustrated there's just so much bad financial advice, you know, out to brainwash the masses to invest in 401k's and issue funds where only those companies get rich off of heavy fee investments that are pretty poor. Um, the wealthy don't invest in retirement accounts. The wealthy, you know, the wealthy buy houses, but after a certain point it makes sense. If your net worth is under a quarter million, million dollars, I don't think you should buy a house. Mhm.
0: Um yeah, interesting so you, you think even though like for example if you're if you were to buy a house if you bought a house like in san francisco maybe 20 years ago your house would i don't know what the price would probably quadruple um you would still say that that buying and then renting would would have been a a better uh investment because you get both the passive cash flows and you get the appreciation in the value of of the asset is that the idea yeah
1: i mean especially i mean when you're buying a house out in california especially it's all gambling and appreciation, you get no cash flow. I mean, easy come, easy go. You did nothing for that investment. You just bought there, but it could have easily gone down just as much too. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, that's why real estate is nice because typically idiots, you know, can invest in real estate and make money. And that, but imagine if you had the right strategies or you invested in the right areas, that cash flow in case something bad happened to the economy, you're hedged. And imagine also that you were able to force appreciate the property you know, rehab units slowly as you're also cash flowing. Now mm-hmm. That's, you know, I think Albert Einstein said, like compound interest was eight one of the world. Well, Albert Einstein wasn't an investor. Albert Einstein didn't know about force appreciating properties. He had a great physicist or whatever he was, but no investor.
0: I'm not sure if that was Albert Einstein, but I, I know that, that quote, and uh, yeah, I definitely agree with it. I, think, I thought it was him.
1: I don't know who it was,
0: but... I, I can Google doesn't. it quickly. Uh, I have it here. You might be correct. I heard that definitely. Yeah, Albert Einstein. He yeah. who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays for it.
1: Yeah, but Albert Einstein didn't understand force appreciation. Now, When mm-hmm. you can get in there, rehab units, and now your tenants pay you a hundred bucks more or 10% more, you just increase the price of the property. You force appreciated it by 10% right
0: there. Sounds great. And then in terms of like, who, who who are your customers and and maybe for people listening and they want to get engaged with the simple passive cash flows, what would constitute your customer, you know, if they were to reach out to you or stuff like that?
1: Um, yeah, just as long as you're like pretty decent with your money, right? Like we don't work with people who are in credit card debt, can't mm-hmm. seem to save money, don't make you know, more than 50 grand a year at their day job. Right. You got to be there. Is there a credit score
0: that you're looking for? Like a cutoff credit score or something like that? Not really. I -hmm. mean,
1: yeah. I mean, just, just, if you just got to be halfway decent with your money, right. It's not, not starting at square one. Um, I mean, so a lot of the content is free for investors on there to, you know, get on the, the fast path. Um, if people want to download my remote rental e-course, just buying rental properties, they can text the word remote to 314-665-1767. But, you know, you just got to keep buying assets. Right?
0: Yeah, that, that makes sense, especially in the last 20 years with all the money printing. Um, well, thank you so much for coming for the second episode as well. Um, I guess we, we, did a, we did a kind of a quick review and quick recap what happened Um, and I I hope that this uh, listeners will find this very interesting in terms of the real estate market Uh, I guess to conclude where we can repeat again where can the investors uh, investors sorry where can the listeners find you and uh, yeah please plug in
1: Um, yeah they can go to simplepassivecashflow.com and then uh, my podcast if they're podcast listeners they can check out simple passive cash flow passive real estate investing iTunes Google Play etc.
0: And I see that you do many events. Are you presenting somewhere uh, in the next couple of weeks? Or is that still... Uh,
1: um, so, yeah, I mean, with the pandemic, we, do, we tend to do a lot less stuff, but mostly it's just within our closed investor circle these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, we the, I kind of run a family office, Ohana group. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a closed group of high net worth accredited investors. But um, you know, it's, it's a pay-to-play program. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for folks, you know, just devour all the free stuff on the website for now and then see if you want to join our tribe.
0: Yeah. And just for anybody who's listening, a accredited investor, you have to earn more than $200,000 per year or have a net worth of a million dollars. So if anybody's accredited, maybe the program works for you. But if you're not, uh, then uh, Lane has all the information on the website and feel free uh, to download it and uh, engage Lane. Yeah. Um, Lane, again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, And thank you very much for your time.
1: Thanks, uh,
2: Pat. Thank you.